to Bard's Backlog, episode number 30. I am your host, Josh Gregos. And I know, right? It's a... We finally made it to the big 3-0. Good for us, right? Finally, finally. Last episode, we talked about... Well, actually, you know what, Jared? I take it back because I still have not published our last episode. So this is actually episode number 31. Oh, Um, I see. Okay, gotcha. So that is on me. We have a Bloodborne episode floating out in the ether that I need to get published. I have not done it simply because, and I am going to get it done. (laughs) I don't have it. (laughs) Um, I really want to sit down and do it. It's just been like not a priority, quite frankly, and I really need to just just do it. it. It won't take me that long. Um, but that's been kind of sitting there. It's it's kind of the back of my mind, but we can get that one up there. So technically, this is episode 31 of Bard's Backlog, or rather the Hall of Games, whatever that name is that you want to go with. Of course, my name is Josh Gallegos. I am joined this week by the casual Jared Benson, and we are talking about Dark Souls 3. Before we get to that, though, of course, this is Bard's Backlog, the ever-growing catalog of video games inducted into the Hall of Games. Jared and I are the gatekeepers and potential subsequent executioners of any video game candidate, including today's. You can write into us at askvgb at gmail.com. You can reach out to us on social media, following us there, giving our post a like, giving us five stars on Apple Podcasts is always valuable as well. Little ways that you can support the podcast without uh, reaching into your wallet. Though, if you'd like to, please do. Uh, We are nothing if not beggars over on this side of the cybersphere. Nonetheless, Jared, I don't know if I have too much of a start point for our episode. I suppose we can jump into a brief Games We Plan. Like you said before this, there's not a whole lot outside of Elden Ring, which quite honestly, we could talk about for a whole seven episodes already right now. Um, I'm already like practicing my sales pitch to you that we should do Elden Ring in part one and part two. And we should literally just take our time. I love that. I love that. Or we can just do one, like maybe we record it in a couple of sessions and then just put one big giant Elden Ring episode out there or something. Yeah. Just a nice meaty three hour long podcast. Maybe, maybe yeah. bump that up a little bit. Bump those numbers it up. It does 
it does take up all of my free time. I have like four priorities, right? I have my fiance, I have you in this podcast, I have my master's degree and I have work, you know what I mean? So <laughs> like there's really not, there's not too much wiggle room for many games we play. And I do want to say that Horizon uh, Forbidden West is sitting on my console like a juicy steak. It's one of those things because it's a AAA title, you know it's going to be good. You know what I mean? Right. Like there was still some question in people's minds when Elden Ring was launched like, is this actually going to live up to the hype? God of War coming out later this year, ideally, hopefully, maybe, who knows, is, like, is it going to live up to the hype? But Forbidden West, like, I already know that it's excellent. So it's sitting like a juicy, marbled uh, piece of Wagyu beef that I cannot wait to chew into, but I just haven't had the time to get to it just yet. Um, And, of course, obviously looking ahead to the games that we're going to be covering in the future, too, trying to strategize which which and when, where to grab, is it on sale, stuff like that, too. So, unfortunately, nothing to add there. But uh, I'm excited about the games we got lined up for this year. Yeah, yeah, and me, too. I haven't been playing a whole lot. I mean, Elden Ring, obviously, is the the go-to. And just in general, I've been so busy, I haven't even had the time to edit the last episode. So... That yeah. also applies to video games, just haven't been able to put a whole lot of time into things. We have a break this week, but my family's in town, so I've been hanging out with them. Right, um, right. So I haven't finished Elden Ring yet. Honestly, I'm right there. It's just a matter of finishing up a couple of main bosses. But yep. outside of that, yeah. I did get Tiny Tina's Wonderlands. I've played that a little bit. I would I've heard love good things. to throw more time into that. It's a really fun game already. Um, what else did I just get? Oh, I got Lego Star Wars, <laughs> the Skywalker. Also saga. heard good things. Lucy and I were thinking of making that our next co-op game. It's yeah, it's probably really good as a co-op game uh, on its own. And I've only played the first episode, but I will say it's a little more underwhelming than I was expecting. Mm-hmm. And I think it was because the hype train was just so sure, you know, so quick moving. I don't know, uh, right? Following in that metaphor, but uh. Yeah, I, I, I wanted it to be more than what it is. And on top of that, I think this might be a story mode problem, but it kind of just pushes you through from one thing to the next without giving you a whole lot of time or thought. Um, I just remember, like, by the time I got through episode one, it was like, oh, it's over. Like, that was the whole movie. And I don't know. It just didn't seem like, like, in sure. older Lego games, like the old Star Wars, Lego Star Wars that I, I played all the time yep. growing up. You have, like, set levels, right? You have, like, five levels for that particular movie. And each level is themed, and there's all kinds of secrets to find. There's a beginning and an end. It's not like that with Skywalker Saga. Instead, it's just one long episode. And you'll have, like, areas, so it'll drop you into Mos Espa. And you gotta go, you know, walk to where Anakin is with his slave mother. And some of that's open. Like, you can kind of run to the left or to the right, but there's not any reason to. Like, it's not, like, open Uh, world level. Oh, no. Yeah, so it's... And I think part of that is, like, in free play, those areas do have a lot more going on. And maybe I just didn't venture off the beaten path enough. But when I did, I was kind of underwhelmed with what I found. So I stuck with the just storyline, and that went very quickly. So it's I, all things considered, it's still a really good Lego game. The combat itself is really good. But I was a bit underwhelmed with the first episode, and I'll play through and finish out the rest of them. But um, yeah, otherwise, haven't been doing a whole lot. Like even that, even Skywalker Saga, I just did really quick over last weekend and um moved on just didn't have time for much else 
So yeah, that has you know been what I almost picked gaining. up from GameStop the other day, Josh. Um, Chrono Cross. No, <laughs> no, The Binding of Isaac. Oh, I saw yeah. it on the top shelf, and I was like, "Should I? Should I not?" It was expensive. It was like like thirty nine dollars or something. I was like, yeah. "Really? Pre owned? Wow!" Um, but but I was like, oh, "I know Josh has played that game before. Maybe I could grab that and finish that." pretty quickly i don't know but uh, a, i almost grabbed it it's not a long game it's it's random generation so it's all about runs kind of like hades where you're just like gotcha yeah you're just going through random generated dungeons it's like one of the first games to do that though so at the time it was a pretty big pioneer um very fun very depressing game very dark very anti-christian um so there's oh, that <laughs> very anti-easter maybe it's a good thing i didn't grab this weekend yeah yeah maybe god was telling you something but um yeah i mean it's i i like that game i think the uh the digital version is better because it comes with the dlc that got released since then i'm trying oh, to think what okay. it's called um because that one is after after birth plus i think is the physical one that you can get and there's one other addition to it which i mean the game's already jam-packed as it is but uh do with that as you will i suppose um, all right, let's go ahead and jump into our next segment here, and that is, of course, the default segment. Again, a little bit more of a pure episode for us today. So, Jared, for our default segment, I just have a quick question for you. How are you doing, man? How am I doing? Yeah, how are you doing? How are how is Jared's how, how is Jared's life playing? How about this? Here's a more specific question, so I can give you a little bit more uh, just direction with this. What's something you've been grappling with? Either good or bad, but just really like ruminating on working through dealing with you know what i mean what is there something like that in your life right now that you've just been kind of tossing around in your mind or in your life yes yeah so i recently uh one of the reasons i've been so busy and so um uh and don't have anything for the games we play in segment is because um i had I have a lot of traveling to do this year, lots of traveling. Um, I have another trip coming up in May for my sister's graduation. I was just out of town on a brutally quick trip to my cousin's wedding. And um, so I I have had a lot going on. And one of the things that a wedding brings to my mind and something that I've been thinking about is this concept of like the one, you know what I mean? Like some people believe in this idea of like the one. And I keep you know, sometimes people will come into my place of work and I'll, I'll ask them like, Hey, what makes a good relationship? And, and a lot of the time they'll, you know, the guy will say, Oh, just do what she says. Or the lady will say, Oh, communication, you know, and all that. So you get all these generic answers. But I did hear someone say the other day that they, they don't use the D word. And what she meant was divorce. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, well, that's interesting. And I think that speaks to a mindset that says, like, it doesn't matter what our issues are, we're not quitting. Yeah. And yeah. If, if that's the case, then I really wonder if you can stretch out your definition of what's compatible, of who's compatible. 
And if that's the case, then maybe there's no such thing as the one. It's about your values and your commitment. You see what I'm saying? Like 100%. you can make your life easier by finding an easy to be with person. And I think maybe that's what people think of. But I also think that some young people are naive and they believe that when they find the one, life will be easy together. Even though we often say to ourselves, oh, it'll be hard, it'll be difficult. But what we really mean is like, we hope it's not. We're really yeah. not. You know what I'm saying? So that's something that I've been ruminating on, Josh. I don't know. What do you think? Do you that's think good. Karina is the one or do you think – so this is so disrespectful, right? Like I don't mean it this way. But no, like I... if you if if you toss out the idea of the one, it really means that your partner is interchangeable or replaceable and no one likes that idea. No one likes to say that. So I guess I can kind of spin it and ask you a hard question. Yeah. Is Karina the one or do you think that you could have made it with anybody? Well, I think – I don't believe in the one, but I think I found the one. Okay. <laughs> if that makes sense. Sure. Um, you know, uh, I always ask the question when, th- when thinking about like relationships and things, uh, especially when it comes to the idea of, you know, forever connecting yourself with another person is what is the point of that? So what is the purpose yeah. of marriage? And right. to me, the purpose of marriage is to have a family and to continue to, through your family, have influence on your community, on your state, on your world. Like, that's that's kind of the, the setup of life that God has put in place. And so, that's what I go back to. And I think, if you think from that perspective, then yeah, marriage is not a... Like, people people treat relationships and marriage today as... Yeah, what do what do I get out of it? What do I want from this? Um, who's going to be best for me? Sort of right. approach to it. When in actuality, it's more about responsibility. It's more about duty. Um, and that's kind of the concept that going back in time, you can see, and even today in countries that have things like arranged marriages, like you get stuck with someone, you procreate, yeah. and that is your spouse. And it's not like... Yeah. Like, in those particular cultures, especially, like, divorce is almost, yeah, not even mentioned because you're just, that's what you do. Like, it's it's a duty. It's not so much something like, oh, like, I had a really good moment with this person. Or, you know, we both really like chocolate cake. Like, it's not about those things. It's about the commitment of it. Um, and we here in the West, in the United States, have thrown away even the definition of marriage, especially much less the purpose behind it. And mm. um, because of that, you know, we, we approach it in a way that, in my mind, is almost incorrect. Like, I think the way of the past was a little bit more direct and, in reality, dealing with what marriage was supposed to be. And now we approach it in such a fickle way that, yeah, it's almost... It, it, I mean, that's why you see so many broken marriages and broken homes and people who do just get divorced and move on. A lot of the times it's it's for reasons of, oh, this was toxic for me or, you know, I, I think I could live a better life or, you know, this person was holding me back. And in those terms, you're presenting a selfish reason. Yes, yes. When in actuality, it's not about you at all. Once you get married, you cease to exist as a unit of... Uh, importance (laughs) like it it is now us like it's both of you and both of you are working on of course passing your values on to the next generation and so that's always been my my thought process with it so in that respect i don't think there is a one but i do think i found someone who for me is all i could ever ask for and 
you know, that's that's part of why I started to even consider marrying Karina. But and going into dating relationships in college, that was always my end goal. You know, that's the difference between yes. courting and dating for a lot of people. Um, in my mind, I was courting her in that my whole purpose was to eventually marry. And because of that, she she checked off all those those things that I would hope for while also now becoming the person who is my my wife, you know, for the rest of time, you know, till the end of our days. So I'm going to stick with that. And and sometimes, you know, it's not it's not going to be easy. Some days are harder than others. And sometimes, yeah, you're going to have questions and, and doubts and concerns. But uh, that's where you put yourself aside, you know, and just recognize that there is a duty to what what is happening here it's not just you anymore and that's something unfortunately we we have just lost over here um we we don't have senses of duty very much at all in our culture and that's one that is incredibly valuable that i wish we had that we just don't um yes i totally agree that's my answer totally agree agree with all of it jared you don't have any nitpicky things to say in response no, because as soon as you start talking about responsibility, you start talking about thinking of uh, uh, an ideal that is a- above you, that's more important than yes. just your selfish wants and needs, and that's what is crucial. You know, is it ideal that the children are raised with two parents? Then, yeah, we're not splitting. You know, we may have to function as best friends at, in the worst case scenario, but you know what I'm saying. So, yeah. well, um, and I, I um. You know, this this hits home for me recently, too, because my, my sister's husband just essentially walked out on them um, come last December. And it's just like, like thinking through like his reasons for it and just the way that he's treated her and, you know, um, what he's doing now and things. And, and I'm like, man, like it doesn't like even if you've lost traction towards your mate, if you've, you know felt emptiness in your in your lot in life right now and your career or whatever like those things still play second fiddle to the fact that quite honestly in my opinion you have children now and they are your duty like they are your responsibility and your children are obligated to have a mom and a dad like they that is something you brought them into this world you ought to provide those things for them um and that's just a notion that's completely lost on our country and you see the effects of it like you you see how many problems that causes um Mm -hmm. so that's my opinion (laughs) absolutely no i think it's dead on well good good response yeah i appreciate that and i and i like that you're thinking these things through is there a particular part of your personal life that applies to it or just the concepts of it you're thinking through Yes and no. Um, Lucy and I had a conversation the other day where I was I was saying, you know, hey, if you had a chance to go back in your life and you know, you know, quote unquote, fix all the mistakes that you made, um, do you think you'd still end up with me? And and the answer is no, because who who we are is a combination of um, is a combination of all the mistakes that we've made, yeah. right? And um, that 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 will lead you to become a different person if you were to do everything right and therefore be incompatible with who you are now and that leads us back to seeing uh seeing the values that we have as the core of the relationship instead of just like straight up 
compatibility or romance or other things. You see what I'm saying? So yeah, yeah. Um, that that was a conversation we had had, and we both kind of agree that yeah, we probably wouldn't end up with each other if it was if if we had lived perfect lives, um, right. because you know it just is what it is, and. Yeah. So is it is it committing to being better people and growing together in your ideals, um, or is it like, hey, as long as we work, that's as long as this relationship will last? So yeah, mm, yeah. So here's a question too: What do you think is better? Would the would a culture with arranged marriage be better than a culture with dating apps? Uh, I am inclined to say arrange marriage if there is no western influence um in in it so like i I grew up with a young woman named vrinda v-r-i-n-d-a she was an indian girl and she was distraught constantly because her parents were telling her that they were going to arrange her marriage and she was going to a public a public charter school with me and with all her friends, and she didn't want to have an arranged marriage. She wanted the quote unquote freedom that we had, and so she was she was uh, like I said distraught that she had to be forced into this idea. What if I don't like him? What if I? But in 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 a culture that's like surrounded by its values, surrounded by its community, and that's how everyone does it, and that's what everyone is doing, and you're not missing out because everyone's getting arranged marriages, and that's just what happens. Then you don't. There, there seems to be. There is statistically a higher success rate with arranged marriages than with Western marriages, for sure. Yeah. Um, and so it just depends if you, because FOMO is a very powerful thing, right? For sure. Like the fear of missing out. You know, I think if you have something to compare it to, then you, you know, um, you know, uh, contentment is one of the, you know, thou shalt not envy thy neighbor's wife or lust, you know, stuff like that. Like it's it's contentment with what you have, your situation what's going on with you and that's that's of crucial importance really so i think i would i would choose the arrangement i told my parents jokingly when i was um when i was in college and i was struggling with you know what whatever else i was like hey you know pick me pick me a spouse i don't care anymore you just pick <laughs> i trust you both <laughs> and you know obviously they said no we're not doing that what if you hate them but uh but that's that whole you know i what am I missing out on? What could I be having? And that's what causes people to walk away sometimes too. It's like I could be having something better. I could have someone who, I could have someone who wants to, um, someone who wants to have, let me do whatever I want to do. So it is what it is. Well, good question there, and I apologize for dropping your call, but I am back. So uh, apologies for that. Nonetheless. Let's go ahead and wrap up with that, unless you want to hear what I was going to respond to that question with, Jared, although that might set us off on another 20-minute rant. It's up to you. It's your podcast, brother. My thing that I've been grappling with is just the fact that I've changed. Mm. That's been something, especially towards the end of... So, like, this, this year, this year at school has been my first year teaching full-time. Right, right. And so I just learned a lot this year about myself, about how to teach, about how people respond to things, about the significance of the passage of time and how that plays, uh, you know, has consequences. You know, there's factors that will factor in when you are dealing with people over the course of time for as long as I have been. And I think 
it's just been interesting to me because I am a very different person than who I was five years ago, um, primarily because of the accident that I had and how mm-hmm. that's just altered my personality. It's altered the way I perceive the world. I think that I have a speech impediment because of it. It's not been diagnosed, but uh, I've been looking into that a lot and just dealing with like the fact that I have limitations in places that I didn't before mm-hmm. and, and what that means in real life with the people who are around me. Because for the first couple of years after my accident, I was pretty much able to ignore or avoid those things because I just wasn't as heavily involved in life. And now being a teacher, I'm, I'm forced to be involved. And mm-hmm. so it, mm-hmm. it requires more of me and it reveals more of me as well. And so that's been something recently, just, just accepting who I am and, and realizing that really things are not as bad as sometimes I, I let myself think, you know, I, I really did. Sure. After my accident, I let myself become a victim and, and I used yeah. it as a crutch and an excuse. And I think this year has shown me that quite honestly, that's it's a poor excuse. It's it is something that I'm allowing myself to victimize myself over when in reality, you know, I can be a lot more responsible. I can take care of myself a lot more. I've had several sure. wake up calls. <laughs> um Mostly dealing with the long memory of girls is one. And then um, actually going to the dentist has been another one. Just like reality smacking you in the face, man. It's like your actions have consequences. The decisions you make, your lifestyle, those sorts of things will catch up with you. And that's something I've been ignoring and avoiding. And obviously something I know but have not been applying to myself in practical ways. And rounding out the year, you know, we're we're heading into May. I've only got a few more weeks at the school before we finish out my first year teaching. Um, I've just been thinking about it a lot and looking back on the year and things I regret and things that I thought I did well and just going into next year, how I'm, you know, I've accumulated all of that experience and I'm going to try to employ it properly at the first, you know, at the first note next year when we get started again. Um, but yeah, I, I'd say grappling. If I was grappling with anything, that would be, that would be the thing I, I've really been thinking over and planning for next year, and just accepting who I am. But then at the same time, not giving myself excuses. You know, being honest with myself, like recognizing that you know what, this is not a limitation that I have, or you know what, I'm, I'm letting myself off easy when when I yes. know I can do better. You know, yeah, that sort of stuff. So, yeah. Change only haunts me late at night when I think of the mistakes that I made when I hadn't grown yet, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I have no problem. I have no problem with where I'm at today, you know, just because California is three hours behind New York doesn't mean it's slow. Um, there's hmm. different stages in your life, different times and places yeah. for things, and everyone learns diff- uh, lessons at different rates. Um, and so I have no problem with where I'm at now. It is, it is the thinking backwards that scares me the most. <laughs> it is. It's you tough. know, you, you, you see people that you haven't seen in forever and they think you're still the person you were a couple of years ago and they have to 100%. relearn who you are. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's an interesting and sometimes traumatic experience. So, yeah, well, and for sure. we're in our twenties. Like one thing I saw the other day that was almost, you know, sobering. I mean, the word I'd probably use in a spiritual context would be convicting. Um, sure. Yes. Yes. But it was a tweet and it was just saying the biggest mistake 
someone in their 30s can make is assuming that they peaked in their 20s. Like, looking at the 20s as their best decade of life, when in actuality, you know, you've got a whole other decade to live, you know? Right. And I've made that mistake in my 20s, where, you know, I mean, growing up, like, in, in, in your, you know, in your teen years, so much is happening, and you're progressing so much. And a lot of times... People ride that wave, like getting out of high school, going to college. Some people ride that wave into success in their 20s, you know, and they going into their 20s. They see a lot of success, the things that they were working on in their in their teens. And like, it seems like everything kind of just like falls into place and clicks for them. And that's almost not the norm, but it, it, it's something that you hope happens to you. And when it doesn't and things do kind of halt or you you have a medical issue or something like it's very easy to then all of a sudden get down and think well my life is now just this you know like i i had yes. i had enjoyed what life could be <laughs> in my teen years and now i'm 20 and the rest of my life's all downhill and yeah. it's like especially no, that's if your parents gave you a good childhood slash high school sure right absolutely absolutely plays a factor yeah um so that's just a mistake. That's a mistake to make because yeah. you still like you're still you. You still have the opportunity to make decisions to to make the most out of what you have in life. So yeah, it's going to take a little bit more effort, and yeah, it's not going to come easy for you on the same level as perhaps it did for your friend. Um, but the mistake is assuming that things were better back then, when there's so much more that you can you can enjoy. There's so much more potential that you can realize. Um, and that's been that's been you know that's that's part of those lessons of of what I've been looking at this last year, and kicking myself over and just being like you know what my my mentality is all wrong, um, true. And you know you got to get the most out of out of every stage of life, not just that first part. Um, but yeah. Anyway, good conversation. I appreciate this, yeah. Jared. Any other thoughts you want to add on before we move on? No, I mean uh, just just quickly like as soon as you start to think like oh no one can understand me. No one, uh, I, I think a certain way. No one can understand me. Um, you, you're two steps away from playing the victim. Mm. Um, if you're having a hard time, you know, communicating with people and c- convincing them of change, trying to change your reputation, and you get frustrated. No one can understand me. You're, you're a half, you know, a step away from considering yourself the victim, and that's a dangerous place to be. Like you were talking about earlier, a couple minutes ago, not, not letting yourself be the victim or not thinking of yourself as the victim. So yeah. no, I think, I think it's, um, that's all I really have to add. It's yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, no. And that's, I mean, that, that hits home for me. Cause I know it's almost like I reached a point and I had to like really think through this and, and tell myself why it was wrong because I could tell in my heart that it was wrong. But like I, for a little while there this year, I was like, maybe I should just like lead every conversation talking about, what happened to me <laughs> right and yeah. it's like no no like you're you're playing your victim card like you're setting yourself up to fail like you're, you're basically giving yourself the excuse ahead of time in case things go wrong you know um so anyway just yeah incorrect approach and and i think keeping that perspective of of hey there, there's still so much of life to live and, and that's another thing, you know, as a Christian, like this life is a joyous thing and so many people get down to the dumps with it and can be very negative influences. And so it's just 
keeping that perspective, that correct perspective is, is truly valuable. But yeah. anyway, uh, let's jump into our main segment, of course, the pick of the week, and that is Dark Souls 3. jumped into Dark Souls 3 kind of as a bit of a distraction from Elden Ring and also so that we could keep these episodes rolling. So, of course, we know Dark Souls part of that Souls series that has, of course, become so ever famous at this point. It is the last Dark Souls game. It was said to be the end of the series, and so it has been. Um, and it, it's it got a lot going for it. It, it. It's got a lot of ideas in it. It has a lot of things that it rejects from previous titles, as well as things that um, it tries that don't work. So, Jared, coming into this, you're, you're, you're in the midst of Elden Ring. You've played Bloodborne and Sekiro and Dark Souls before. Where does Dark Souls 3 fall into the From Software titles for you? And as an experience on its own, standing on its own two feet. What did you think? What was your overall impression? <laughs> um, I feel like this game, to me, demonstrated... Well, it was totally different. It was totally different. I, I'll, I'll say it this way. My vibe for this game was that FromSoft is so close to being perfect, in my opinion. So close. And yeah. this game demonstrated it more than anything else. Now, Elden Ring, of all the titles so far, is my favorite because it has so many NPCs, so much lore, so much background, great sets, massive size. I enjoy the bosses. I really don't understand the criticism of the bosses. I found them all difficult in their own way. Um, Some are fast, crazy. Some break your poise. Some you need special weapons for. Um, Some of them are just insane. Some of them are magic-based. I really love Elden Ring a ton, a ton, a ton. Dark Souls 3, however, has a lot of... Um, I have a lot of the same hangups that I did with DS1, Dark Souls 1, um, but I, I felt like I approached them better because I had already, you know, kind of aired out my dirty laundry in Dark Souls 1. You understand yeah. what I'm saying? So, yeah. like, a lot of those same gripes, it's like I feel like I don't need to repeat them because some of that is just the way that they are. But I did feel like, wait a second, Dark Souls as a franchise knows how to make perfection and they've just for some reason chosen to um let it elude them and it happened yet again in ds3 um and we can go into more detail on that but but other than that other than that one that one vibe i got where i was just like oh you missed it you were so close uh as a series 
I really enjoyed my time with this because I felt so comfortable. I felt at home. I was like, I've already got all my wiggles worked out with DS1. Um, I've already, you know what I mean? I've already got all those frustrations at like how difficult the game is out for DS1. Um, and, and so this game was much more of a breeze. Plus, I've tried to do a sorcerer build for two games. My current build in Elden Ring is a sorcerer build, although I'm about to um, respect myself and make a, a really nice strength tank build because I like those. Um, but DS3 for me was a pure strength tank build, and my life is so nice. much easier. You have such a massive health pool to like, you just get a lot of uh, second chances because of that huge health ring. And you're not really, it's just strength for the most part. So you don't, you don't need to worry about specialty or specialty right. weapons or technique. It's just smash and grab. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's a very simple way of playing the game and it's the most enjoyable way to play Dark Souls, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. And um, strength is like the yeah, that's like the the go to way of experiencing these games. Here's my question, Jared. You you're saying it's a lot like the other games. You're saying it is is almost like, you know, a showcase of what FromSoft can do, but still missing that perfect mark. Between this and the other games, what what stands out to you as truly notable from Dark Souls 3 that perhaps doesn't show up in other games? And also, like, just in general, what makes Dark Souls 3 unique to you um, to stand out from the pack in any way? <sighs> Part of why I ask is because Elden Ring, honestly, is Dark Souls 4. <laughs> in that, like, it it feels like Dark Souls 3. The way that the character moves is like Dark Souls 3. It's a little bit faster. Obviously, you have that jump in there. Um, but, like, Elden Ring is almost Dark Souls 3 in an open world. So it takes a lot of what Dark Souls 3 did right and perfects it. Um, but that being said, it's it's obviously still a different game. So... Are there are there aspects of it that you thought they did really well that you wish they had done elsewhere, or uh, are there parts of it that you wish like like for me? I know for Dark Souls, like um, I think the the concentration on um, like minier map biomes is something from Elden Ring that I miss. That that three really does super well, um, which you get from Bloodborne as well. Uh, so I guess it's not super unique, but um, I just think no, it's more unique. I because I would disagree with the Bloodborne thing. I I Bloodborne is is like they kind of did a very good job of consistently framing all of their biomes in this gothic horror version. So I do think like the the unique variety of the different areas, like the Road of Sacrifice versus the um, the um, you know what I'm trying to say, the the castle at the start, or or the undead settlement compared to the um, the jailers, the profane capital, right? Like that is something that Dark Souls does really, really well. Bloodborne is like restricted itself in in a good way, I think. Restricted itself because the, they're intense theming. Yeah. So I I I would agree with that. I would say that that's not really something that I miss with Elden Ring. Um, I feel like they still do that a little bit, but it's they just do. each is open world in its own sense. And I I love the variety in Elden Ring, and I don't I don't miss the I don't miss the linearity of the maps. I, yeah, I no, say okay. That, well, I'm playing devil's advocate a little bit. <laughs> totally that. fine. Yeah, no, I get it. Um, I I feel like I actually feel like the map. Okay, so I'm trying to like this is my difficulty here, and I want to be very careful. Like I love Dark Souls three as much as I ended up loving Dark Souls one. 
Um, but, but a lot of the novelty is worn off. So I'm trying to like, I'm trying to like give it the same respect and awe that I had for DS1 while understanding that while gameplay can be smoother and whatever else, a lot of the novelty of the Dark Souls games has, has worn off because I kind of went through all of that in DS1. Um, and I had fewer big like whoa moments in, in DS3 than I did DS1. Um, and again, I think that's because of novelty bias, right? Um, yeah. And so, uh, so that's just. But I really did love the. I love the boss fights a lot in DS3, whereas in DS1, I felt like maybe because it's an older game, it was less cinematic. I oh, suppose. Yeah. It, other than the Ornstein and Smo fight, I still think that's probably the best fight I've ever had in a game outside of. Um, uh, pardon me, outside of like some of the Sekiro fights, which are all masterpieces in their own way, yeah. but it's different. Um, but, but I enjoyed almost all of the DS3 bosses more than just about any boss in Bloodborne. Bloodborne just didn't click for me, man. I don't know what it is. It just, it just couldn't, I see everywhere, Reddit, Elden Ring threads, everyone compares all the front soft games to each other and everyone's like, Bloodborne's the best, like by far. It's not even close. And I just don't get it. I don't, I don't see that. I'm, I'm not sure what I'm missing, whatever else. But I, I certainly felt like DS3 was the, pe- it was the fixed, cleanest version of DS1 without sacrificing what it is at its core. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, some of the elements from DS1, like, you know, the fast traveling ability is there right at the start that definitely makes your run through smoother and faster for sure. So it speeds up the pace. But... DS3 is still plagued by the same problems DS1 is. I need more lore. I need more explanation. And you almost had me a couple times, but you just keep falling short just by a little bit. Um, But, you know, that that is what it is. Even so, you know, my thoughts are a little jumbled, but um, let me just just say this, because I got to get it out there. The DS3 was so close to being what FromSoft their whole, their Dark Souls games needed to be from the start. And I haven't played DS2, so take this all with a grain of salt. Um, there's a fight in DS3. It's kind of, it's not everyone's favorite fight, but people like it for one reason. Do you remember fighting Osiris the Consumed King? Yeah, yeah, down in yeah. the, like, Corrupted Gardens or whatever. Yep, yep. He has a dialoguing line throughout the fight. He is holding what seems to be an invisible infant, which is kind of like a callback to Priscilla from DS1, who's invisible, has some invisibility, and it seems to be like that offspring of dragons and humans tend to be invisible or something like that. Halfway through the fight, you know, he is the consumed king. He's kind of fighting you off with his one hand while he holds this invisible child in his other, and he's speaking to it, you know, Ocelot, you have nothing to fear, you're a child of dragons. When you enter the boss fight, he turns around kind of ambivalently, he's like, so you finally noticed, you know, all this different stuff. That, that right there, hidden bits of lore, of hidden bits of, of um, world building, storytelling, yeah. that needs to be in every single Dark Souls fight. Every, every single one. That is where the meat of the game is. That is where you hook people. That is where you tell a story. That is how you craft a world. 
Yeah. I need more. I really liked the uh, Firekeeper dynamic. Obviously, in DS1, the Firekeeper, Firelink Shrine is this quiet, mute woman, and sometimes she dies if you do the quest a certain way, and sometimes she lives. You know, it just depends. Um, there is no dialogue. This uh, this Firelink Shrine Maiden um, was involved to the very end, and the ending that I got was her letting the flame die. Right, that's the one okay. I chose. Yeah, and you had you had to go a certain way, find the firekeeper eyes, go give them to her, and then she foresees a world and decides to follow you to the bitter end and stuff like that. So it's a specific ending you have to unlock. But Is it's that one where you of four. Like the Lord of Darkness or whatever. That's another ending. Yeah. Okay. So um, the Lord of Hollows, I think, is the one. You're that's referring right. To. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. Have to follow the Hollow timeline or yeah, yeah, line. and that's hard to do, right? But um. There's another cruel one where you like attack the firekeeper and you put your boot on her face and you take the flame for yourself and it has an ending narration. That's interesting as well. But again, back to this Osiris fight, that again, he is he he transitions halfway through the fight to like tossing this invisible child aside and he comes at you full fang and teeth. And you, it's it's really not an overwhelming fight for the most part. He he can do some damage if you get caught in his rush. But for the most part, if you just dodge, you're just fascinated. You're dancing with him. You're watching him. Um, there was some Vata video content where they played backwards the dancer um, from the Boreal Valley. And yeah, it was like, yeah, yeah. it sounded like she was saying something if you play in a reverse or something like that. I don't remember what it was. That, I need that every fight. I need, I need Margit the Fell telling me I'll never achieve what I need to be as he kills me a, a 30th time. I need. Uh, uh, writer Picard, right, saying we can devour the gods together in his like gravelly voice as you die to him the 30th time. Um, that is achieved in Elden Ring a lot yeah, of the times. Yes. And DS3 almost had it. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? Like, I'm really 100%. not doing a good job of explaining it. And the other thing is, too, is like, why is the nameless king an optional boss? <laughs> He's what? hard to find. Too. Like, his whole area is like. So it, easy to miss if you're not paying attention to to forums and stuff. It is super hard. It is not in the way at all. And it's like, wait, 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 wait. I get the Lord of Cinder fight. I get it. I get it. But the Nameless King needs to be, he needs to show up and be like, perhaps, perhaps, because his lore is speculation a lot, because FromSoft loves to do this. They just don't tell you anything solid. You have to speculate everything by small connections. And while that's fun, it can also be like when you do find the connection, reward that by having content in there that confirms what you found or flips it on its head or whatever else. The perfect ending to this game would have been the Nameless King trying to stop you from a specific ending. And you either can fight him because he wants to kill Daddy's Flame or he wants to save Daddy's Flame, because obviously Gwyn, the Lord of Cinder, is one of the first to link the fire and stuff. And at this point in the series, and there's some weird things about time and parallel universes and stuff and, like, mixing of timelines. Um, Yes. There's so much to it, I know. It's it's definitely sigh-worthy, for sure, Um, that Gwyn is linked the flame, and you have the option to link the flame and continue the world, but the first flame is so weak at this point that the game really pushes you to like let the world enter darkness. And you get a little taste of that uh, when you go to the untended graves right behind Osiris, that fight there. So I, it's just that Dark Souls, again, with the lore for me, I just need 
more, man. I, I yeah. don't have a good reason to link the fire or to let it die. I'm ambivalent either way. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Like I just, you need to give me more. You need to give me another reason to do a new game plus other than it just seamlessly flowing in. You keep some of your stats and keep some of your weapons and stuff like that. I need more. Yeah. Um, no, I totally and they get almost that. had it. They almost had it with that fight. That, that's the only fight that does have it. Why isn't there a dialogue between Ornstein and Smo? Why isn't there, um, you know what I'm saying? Like, why right. isn't the Nameless King say thank you for your service to Storm Drake before he takes him out and takes his lightning soul? Like, what? Like, come on, man. Why is the ancient dragon so easy to kill from a, I thought you needed lightning on his, to peel back their uh, scales. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's too, it's, I don't know. Like, with all the respect that I give you for being the game that you are, I feel like you let me down sometimes. It's just and, like you're seeing, especially yeah. with Elden Ring out, like you're seeing what they could have done with those other titles. And I yeah. think that's part of why they ditched Dark Souls is, and especially once you get to three, you can tell there just was not a plan for that world. Um, one is its own story, obviously, with Gwyn and lighting the flame. Two yes. is a totally different world. It's set on a different continent. I thought that was really interesting because it plays into the world of one. In that you you're you're on a different continent, so obviously things are different, but like there's allusions to it, and I think two is really cool in that way. But three, they just ditch two entirely. They go back to um to to the one storyline, but they don't really continue it in any significant way other than to say, Oh yeah, we've had all kinds of people linking the fire over and over and over for however many millennia. And yeah. The last few guys that went to Link the Fire all bailed on it, so they have to go and take them. Or they didn't bail on it, but like basically they're they're back, and you need to go make sure you take them out so that you can become Lord of Cinder. And it's like yeah. that's it. And then yeah, the only person that I mean, out of those main people, none of them really have any connection to you. The only cool connection is through um, the Onion Knight and um, the giant whose name is escaping me. I need to look this stuff up before I come in here and talk about it but um like his whole storyline if you follow did you end up following his npc storyline through which one seaward yeah no no i he's stuck in the well for me i couldn't find his armor (laughs) okay yeah if you're able to do that and follow it all the way through he has a super rewarding end with the giant down in the profane capital yeah you Um, are yeah because it turns out they're you know they're old buddies and the giant told him if he ever ends up getting out of hand that Sigurd would come and kill him and so like that plays out really well but yeah if you're not following yes. that quest line all the way through you're not going to have that fulfillment at the end and even then like you could still put in more i will say dark souls 3 out of all the titles i think that dark souls specifically um this one achieves the technical prowess that you wanted in one and yes. that it's perfectly balanced between sorcery yes. and pyromancy and strength and dexterity. Like you have it yep. all. Yeah. Um, the bosses are built with all that in mind, which is not the case of Dark Souls One. Um, so you got that depth and range of technicality, which they then, of course, improve on even more in Elden Ring. But back with Dark Souls Three, it was the peak at that time. That's all great. I think the way that they they surprise you, like. Three is where you can tell Miyazaki is starting to like really troll his own fan base and <laughs> you know, just like throw stuff at you that he knows is gonna mess you up and, and catch you by surprise. Like I think there's more sucker punches in three than in any of the other titles. 
because it's like haha like you died like you you got surprised and and then you're like ah all right next time i go through that area i'll know um so like those things it does so well the quest lines if you follow them like if you follow each of the npc quest lines which honestly this game does really well in that as long as you are thoroughly searching every single area before you move on to the next one you're basically not gonna miss a quest line yes um, which, which is i excellent. think yes is amazing yeah because in Elden ring especially i've noticed like something will happen and i just don't know and then some npc on the other side of the world like kills over <laughs> or something happens yeah. and i'm like yeah. oh i didn't even know that was gonna occur um three does a really good job of like oh leading you down that path one too vague two in its own way problematic but three really nails that aspect so like those things i would say all strengths the boss fights are great I think those have been topped by Elden Ring, but even they like really pose a fantastic challenge on a level that the other Dark Souls games had not. And you are able to rise to that challenge because you also technically uh, are just a lot more proficient in your in your even just in the way that you roll. (laughs) Like the roll is a lot more like three sixty degrees than what's in Dark Souls One. Yeah. So, like, you're getting what you want Dark Souls 1 to be in the gameplay, in the technicality side of it, in the bosses. Like, you're getting all that. Um, Sands the world, so you don't have the cool interconnected world of Dark Souls 1. It's just separate areas that you're going It's much more linear, yeah. It's just unfortunate. I think that's one of the things about 3 that always bums me out when I go back to play it. It's like, ah. Yeah. It's it's a lot more like a Bloodborne in that way, where Bloodborne is... Yeah, I'm with you little biomes and you're going from each tombstone to that specific um uh bonfire or whatever they're called in bloodborne um, yeah. the lamps and dark souls 3 is just that again which is a bummer like there's just not as many interconnected like you're not opening as many gates to other areas now within areas you are but it's not nearly as much as you'd hope um yeah i would i would i definitely wanted more interconnectivity like i yeah you know i wanted the profane capital to link back to maybe the catacombs or something like the, the catacombs yeah totally exactly some, yeah something like they just don't yeah. do that which yeah is what it is um, so you and i for instance you and i were just talking about um the lord of blood right you found him a way that i'm gonna find him in a different way um and that's that's possible i think i can forgive NPCs killing over on the other side of the map because the world is so big. Like instead of going to Lyernia next time, next time I'm going to go to Kalid first. Mm-hmm. So like because mm-hmm. it's open world, I feel like I can forgive that a little bit. But uh, you're totally right about the NPCs with Dark Souls Three being like um, much more achievable for sure. As long yeah. as you are thorough in each area, and each area is certainly much more enjoyable because they're less like. They're less unfair than DS1. Like DS1, I got legitimately frustrated with my exploration techniques because it was so easy to get ganked by like six or seven around the corner instead of maybe just one here and there. Um, And I felt like DS3 is way more balanced in the the standard day-to-day enemies as well as the bosses. Just You're totally right. I would agree 100%. From a technical standpoint, it's much better. And did you think overall that it was easier because i found ds3 easier and i'm trying to sort out in my head whether that was because i'd played a dark souls game before or because it was actually easier what do you think um i think it's easier to figure out so i think the combat side of things three is much harder than one um 
Really? So in that respect, you can't say it's easier. But it's a lot more straightforward. And it's not as uh, vague in a bad way as one is. So it's a little more... Like, at this point with the series, and Elden Ring does this fantastically as well, it's cluing you in a lot more. Like, it's still going to be a little vague, but it's giving you a little more direction. It's pointing you where it wants you to go, and so on. And and in 3, too, like... It really rewards exploration while also keeping you on the path. And that really does come down to the fact that those areas are linear. So it actually plays into its favor in that the areas, yeah, they like they don't connect as much. Um, they're a little bit easier to explore, but they're also much more layered as well. So you're getting a lot out of exploring, um, including quest lines as well as items and things. Um, so that definitely is in its favor. I don't know if it like all those things, I don't know if that makes it easier. I will say, I think that Dark Souls 3, um, oh, especially when you get into the DLC. Did you end up playing any DLC, Jared? No, I have both DLCs because I bought the Fire Fades version. Um, But no, I haven't. You gotta go back and play them. Honestly, (laughs) those, like those, I think it's two pieces of DLC. Some of the best Souls content that you'll get. They're just, they're amazing. Um, as long as you tell me there's more lore, then I'll do it. There is, there is, especially in the second one. Um, but even the first one, the, the paint, the painting, um, you go into another painting like in dark souls one. Yep. I have both. Yeah. Yeah. Super good. Super really great. And, and those are the boss fights too. Like in the DLC, you can start to tell where they got a lot of their ideas from Elden ring. (laughs) Like, uh, they just, they just have a lot of fun with those bosses, but I was going to say, especially in the DLC, but in the base game as well, the bosses are so much more uh, varied in their tactics, in their in what you need to do to take them out. Obviously, they borrow heavily from previous games, but there's not as many solutions to defeat them either, so it does kind of come down to pure skill or just blunt force when you're using strength. <laughs> um Alden Ring, I love this game. One of the things that I have a bit of a holdup in is that there is, and, and this is kind of a really bad holdup to even bring up, but um, there is like eight solutions to every problem. So mm. like, You don't and, care for that? I No, I love it. I love it in its own way. But I do prefer the, the pure aspect of, of the other Souls games in that you come against a boss and you just have to beat the boss. You can't, <laughs> I mean, you can summon guys, I guess, so that's, that's kind of cheating, that's but you can't thing. like... Yeah, you can't bring up your, you know, your ashes of war. Um, you, you can't um, bring in a bunch of people. Like you, you can't go around the area and go try something else. Like you have to just forge through. So yeah. that's something about Dark Souls Three that I look, especially looking back now with what Elden Ring has brought to the table. Which, again, not a bad thing at all. Uh, the amount of ways to approach something is what make open worlds great. And Elden Ring does that in so many brilliant ways. Um, but I like Dark Souls 3 because it does hold back. It, it's just back in that time of a little bit more straightforward, linear design. Um, but that does lend itself toward difficulty in a way that is healthy. In that it's you're it's pushing you to get better as opposed to finding alternate ways to get around it. Um, yeah. So I like that about it. That being said, outside of boss fights, I do agree. This is a much easier game. Yeah. Um, and that's because of how much they give you. Like, they're just giving you so many abilities and 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 uh, a lot more balance to spells and stuff. 
So all that plays a factor, of course. And and the crucial thing that I found too is like how easy it is. I maxed three separate weapons in DS3. Um, the Titanite slab, which is essentially like the final level up piece for your weapons, is like there's like 20 of them in each playthrough. That's a lot. Um, and if you can farm like Titanite and Twinkling Titanite and stuff like that, or even purchase it from merchants, you can upgrade your weapon, which if you look at pure stat increases, if you upgrade one level to your weapon, because they only go up to level 10 or something, you are changing the dynamic and ease of an area significantly. Yeah, much more and than that, if you just level yourself up. That was the thing. Exactly. So like every time I hit a strength increase, it did very, very little. I mean, over time, sure, I can kind of keep leveling with my enemies, but I was level 99 and finished the game in 28 hours, and that was largely due to the fact that like I had I leveled up three weapons entirely. Um, and that made my life easier because I could apply each. So for instance, for the Nameless King fight, I finally found uh, Smo's hammer. And I love the callbacks to the first game. I love that about this. Yes. Like every time I find something, I'm like, ah, I remember that. Three and does because, that so good. Yes, yes. And because I um, was a strength build this time around, I could actually like, you know, make it work. I could wield Smo's hammer. And this that's massive. You remember that massive great hammer from DS1? Yeah. Um, I used that against the Nameless King to take out his dragon in three hits. And that was the only way I could beat him because, like, he kept crushing me. There's, like, an area of attack he does with his flame breath, and I just mm-hmm. – it t- killed me every time. I just stopped trying. I was like, oh, I missed it this time. I, I was too too far to his feet, so he kept doing that attack. Instead, um, it was better for me to hit him three times with the hammer real good. He dies, and then I can pull out my regular weapons for the second phase of the fight. Um, and that's the nameless King was my favorite boss by far. And again, he's like Lord Gwyn's long lost son, but there's so much potential there and they just didn't capitalize on. but I'm kind of, I'm backtracking a little bit, but because there's so much availability for the Titanite, um, upgrades, you're talking about like, again, it just made my life so much easier. I felt like it was much harder to upgrade my weapons, um, both in Elden Ring and in, um, as well as Bloodborne and, DS1. I just really found that difficult. I don't know if you felt the same way. But sure. DS3 well, it's here's like a question really too. Easy. Part of that, were you using a guide for most of the playthrough? Um not to find stuff. I just kind okay. of like every time I found a weapon I was like, "Hmm, this has a good starting rate, which means it'll probably scale nicely." And I was looking for things that were scaling with strength. And and I was like absolutely i i call it an offloading run which is essentially like i am i i googled the build the best builds in ds3 right and it was like you want your stats at 42 vigor 36 endurance 40 vitality and uh 50 strength and then that's fine don't cap it right at 120 because that's the pvp cutoff and um and so they're like, you know, do this. And I was like, okay, I'll shoot for those stats, and then I'll just pick whatever weapon I like the most to to fix, you know, to go with that. But I wasn't looking for where they were. I just, if I found them, that's what I did. So it was kind of guided a little bit, but for the most part, um, the just like I don't know. What's the I guess I'm, I'm just for? saying, like with with especially with something like a Titanite slab, like I wouldn't hold it against the game too much for being simple to find if that was something that you were you know looking up because that's something like quite frankly i think 
using a guide with games like this does make them feel lesser sometimes. Like it feels a little bit cheaper because you're sure. not authentically yeah. coming across those things and figuring it out yourself. Yeah. So I guess all that to say, like, hey, make sure as you approach it that you keep in mind those aspects as well. No, um, I didn't. No, that's a good question. I didn't use a guide for finding key items. No, I, I used a guide for, I chose a build. So it was like, you can do a dex build or a strength build or a yeah. tank, you know, strength tank build or a pure strength build, whatever you want to do. And, you know, here are the weapons you should probably think about using. And it gave me a couple options. I was like, okay, I'll just kind of pick and pick and choose here and there. But like the Grand Archives, for instance, the Grand Archives, if you just take your time exploring that area and unlocking little secret doorways and stuff like that, you'll find a Titanite slab. If you yeah. follow messages left on the ground, you'll find a Titanite slab. If you, fi- you see what I'm saying? So like yeah. just within gameplay, not even looking things up, it was relatively easy to find stuff. And like I was saying, I was doing an offloading run. So I had souls to spare. Anytime I knew I wasn't going to use a weapon, oh, that's dexterity 20. My dexterity caps out at 15. Sell it. No, I'm not going to use that weapon. Sell it. Nope, too much armor. Don't need that. That's generic. Sell it, sell it, sell it, sell it. Offload everything. Um, By the end of the game, I had three weapons and two shields. That was it. I had sold everything else and leveled as high as I could to, to finish the game. And so I think... Um, but in addition to those, to just finding resources much easier than DS1 especially, um, which is the hardest, in my opinion, to find resources for, because um, you really do have to like farm a lot of that stuff. Um, yeah. DS3, on the flip side too, like I found myself, maybe it's because of the build too. Like so I did a sorcerer build for DS1, and that's really hard to do sometimes, just depending on the boss, because you have so little health. But, um, but yeah, I think DS3 was easiest for me for those three reasons easier to find resources i did a strength build with a lot of vitality um and the third thing was that um what's now i lost my reasoning there but those and and third oh and because i had i had played a dark souls game before so it's like i think that too was definitely breaking the ice but as far as bosses go none of the bosses took me more than 20 tries except nameless king none of them okay solo cinder was like three tries Everyone else was one or two tries. Some of them I one-shotted in one try. Sure. Um, uh, Yorm took me a second. Oh, you said oh, Nameless, Nameless King. Who's Nameless your least King favorite? Nameless King for then? sure. Yeah. Least favorite? Um, Mine's the witch. No, because... Her. In the... <laughs> what is that? In the forest or whatever? The Crystal Sage? Yes, the Crystal... Oh, my goodness. But Especially because of how early on in the game she pops up and, like... Oh, like, your stats are just... In my opinion, you're not quite ready when you first meet her, if you, if you veer off in that direction in the woods and I, I hated it. And, and part of it is I don't have very many projectile builds when I play these games. So, um, it was, it was kicking my butt and I, that was one of the <laughs> fights I had to go back. Like I had to go, I had to go face off against the, um, what are they called? The watchers or whatever. Um, yes. The watchdogs or whatever the heck they're called. Watchers of went, the abyss. Yeah, and then I went down to the catacombs and faced off against the giant skeleton boy. Um, and then I went back to the sage. And at that point, I had leveled up enough that it was an okay fight. But, man, I was livid, I remember, playing that game the first time. Yeah, the uh, Abyss Watchers were probably the second uh, the second hardest fight for me. But the... Um 
the Crystal Sage was fine. I don't. I maybe it was just my experience. I did come back a little bit later, but not too far because I was like, "What am I missing here? Why am I missing something? I can't get to Ithril. I can't get through that little fog gate. I need the small doll." And I was like, "I don't know how to get that, so I got to Google that real quick." But um, but no, I I didn't think that was too hard. I loved the Abyss Watchers dynamic was fantastic. That was probably my second favorite boss fight because that because cool. of that. That is really cool because All like you get help halfway has, through. Yeah, yeah. Three. Oh, DS three's got really the bosses, cool no doubt. Yeah. Um, and again, much more satisfying than the Bloodborne bosses. I really just that was that's just my personal opinion. Um, DS one bosses were fun but janky sometimes. Like Super I think of the janky. Hydra fight. Like that's a janky fight. Um. Uh, some of Most the of other, them. yeah, yeah, the a lot, the Capra demon in that cramped room in the near the depths. That's a janky fight for sure. Um, so some of those those other ones, but no DS three, dude, I I loved almost all the boss fights. Um, that they were great for sure. They've I just want I just ones. yeah, like, but if you can do if you can do voiceover work for Osiris the the consumed king, which is essentially like a bonus boss like he's not required right. in any way at all right why couldn't you have done that with my main bosses i don't understand i just yeah. it's like where why did you let this elude you repeatedly now the soul of cinder was really cool because he switches phases like he turns into different enemies i loved that i was Which like awesome, oh that's yeah. that's dope for sure because that keeps me on my toes so every time i walked in there i didn't know what i was gonna get so that was super dope he's like you in that respect like he's supposed to be like a regular souls player who lit the right flame. exactly so like he kind of reflects a bunch of different gameplay styles which is super cool i agree yeah my favorite boss i think has to go to one of the dlc bosses so i'm not gonna say who it is but it's the first dlc it's the there's only like one set of main bosses in that so um love that that whole encounter amazing um Least favorite, though, has to be Crystal Sage. But that being said, <laughs> most of these bosses are fun or interesting in their own way. And I agree that, especially now that you've brought it up and thinking about it, I, I really wish that they did have a little bit more of the lore associated with each of those bosses. Because they do that in Elden Ring. Like, Elden Ring's got that. Like, there's so yes. many times where I'm like, oh, crap. Like, this is, you know, uh, Godwin, the... Um, the first king or whatever his name was. Um, yeah, like that sort of like, and, and he talks about it. And as he transitions into his next health bar, like he talks about that. I love the Elden Ring transitions. So great. Anyway, so oh my goodness, dude! Um, <laughs> second stage, second stage transitions in Elden Ring are legendary. Literally legendary. One hundred percent correct. Um, and and Dark Souls three does a little bit of that, and it's DLC, which is why I'm like, Jared, you got you got to play it. Um, yeah, I'll I'll have to do that. I I missed the Artorius DLC in DS one too, so it's like I'm not. It's not that I'm uh, meh. You yeah. can skip like Artorius. Like, yeah, if you if you didn't have the other Souls content, is worth going back and playing. Um, it's really not though. I've played through, I think every bit of dark souls DLC that's out there. Artorias is actually one of the lowest ranked for me. It was, you can tell it's pretty early on in the idea of DLC and it's pretty garbage compared to, especially dark souls three content Two, 
Dark Souls 2 has a lot of really good DLC too, uh, but 3 really knocks it out of the park, which honestly, Jared, only makes me more excited for Elden Ring DLC because they know how to do it. <laughs> so I'm very yeah, excited. Yeah, at this to see point, they yeah, they know how to do that. And I, I, you know, I know we're kind of drifting off topic a little bit, but I think it was just smart business sense for them to make their games more, not easier. Elden Ring is not easy. Like, I, I don't think people like, like, oh, it's easier. No, no, it's not easier. It is just as hard. It's just that they More ways stripped, to solve the problem. They've stripped a lot of the inconveniences of a, a, a strictly linear game away yeah, and yeah. given you an open world format that allows you to kind of play, again, like you're saying, exactly like you're saying, with many different solutions to the same problem, for sure. Yo, so, who is saying that Elden Ring bosses are easy? No one's saying that they're easy, but they are saying that, like, the summons and some of the, like... Here's my response, Jared. Yeah. Here's my response, all right? Three simple words. Suck a brick, because <laughs> they are not easy. <laughs> I don't know what you're thinking. Also, I'm going to edit that out. I just really want to drop that. They... I, I, yeah, no, they're not easy at all. And, but, but you do see that complaint on some, but that's also like the same complaint that all hardcore Dark Souls players are like, you know, dude, you just got to get good, bro. You just got to get good. Yeah. Um, you know, (laughs) so it's the same people that are saying that they're just upset that their baby is now accessible for everyone. And a lot of mainstreamers are playing, you know, a FromSoft game. And so now they're not special anymore, so they can just get over it. But Um, no, you're totally right. Um, well, I, I just feel like, yeah, go ahead. It's it's easy in the amount of options, yeah, at your disposal to kind of deal with the problem. But the actual level of nuance and complication in the bosses themselves is Sekiro levels of quality. And they've just yeah. brought that to Dark Souls 3. So, or Dark, uh, Elden Ring, I guess, is what we're talking about in this particular conversation. Um, but... Yeah, so don't even at me with that stuff because, my goodness, I love it, too. Like, every time that I encounter a new boss, I'm, like, rubbing my hands together because I'm so excited. I'm like, oh, my goodness, what's he got up his sleeve now? Yeah. Um, anyway, we're talking about Elden Ring too much. We're, Dark Souls 3. <laughs> <laughs> you can, it can't help, but Elden Ring can't help but overshadow everything that we've yeah. done in FromSoft so far. We've covered a lot of FromSoft titles in the last six months. Um, can't it help is but compare four. them all to one another um for sure yeah so jared in talking about dark souls 3 at the end of the day maybe i'll ask this at the very end i was gonna ask where you'd rank this in comparison to the other titles but i'd rather wait for that until after we either place in all of games or not um so here's my question instead would you say that dark souls 3 is a worthy successor to one or as a whole, do you wish for more? And do you think that Elden Ring is what is what actually gave that to you? Like looking back at three, and I know it's tough because you're in the situation where you played Elden Ring first. Um, but does it innovate enough? Does it uh, capitalize on the strengths of the series enough? Does it deliver for you on a level of, yes, this is worthy? No, um, and the and the reason I and I don't say that as a harsh, strict no. I, I say that suspi- as suspicion that you'd say no. So. Yeah, well, well, no, because again, I feel like they're just missing the mark. I don't have enough reason to care. 
You you gave me Gravelord Nito, the Witches of Isleth, Gwyn's Thunder, and and the Age of Light. Yes, and the end of the world potentially, and a and a corruption and a sickness that spreads and like undead roaming the grounds and like the world and everything else. You gave me scale and depth and Seath yes. the scaleless, the betrayer of the ancient dragons, and who knows why he's got like you know no scales and stuff like that. With this. It's almost like it, you know, instead of the world going out with a bang, it goes out with a whimper. I'm sure you've heard that phrase before. Mm. But it is a little bit underwhelming, to be honest. It's like it it tries to live up to the lore hype of DS1, but it misses the mark completely. Again, Nameless King was your ticket out of that problem. He was your absolute ticket out of that problem. Ticklet. I love that word. Ticklet. Can we we coin that word? (laughs) Oops, yeah. Um, it, it, he was your way out of that. Osiris being a key part of that. He was your way out of that, 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 you know, you missed the mark. You missed the mark. I think it's more obvious in no other spot in the game than in the final boss. Yes. Like the Lord of Sender. Okay. Great. That he has a different set of moves depending on his stance or whatever, but he is as generic as you get. Yeah. As generic as you can possibly get. Right. Yeah, I would if if and that's gonna it's gonna be hard. It's gonna be hard to rank this game um compared to the others because they're all so different. But I would say that the Lord of Cinder and the way that DS3 ends falls below all of the other titles. Even if Which is why the, you need to play the DLC, Jared. <laughs> yeah, well I have <laughs> heard good things that. about I've heard good things about Gale um and his little arc there. Um and I did start it briefly. Um and and I think that the beauty of the worlds that they build in DS3 are equivalent to DS1, but the linearity and the ability of, like, when you're at Firelink Shrine, you can look down and see Blight Town and look up and see, you know, the uh, the Undenburg or Parish, whatever else, off to the right. And you can kind of look down to the Valley of Drakes a little bit and the way that everything connects and, and different stuff, you know, different. that is undoubtedly one-of-a-kind, breathtaking, unique and it hasn't been touched since in terms of map complexity. So mm. DS1 has to be above everything else in terms of map, like world building, for sure. Um, I would also give it the edge in lore to DS3, although I love the bosses a lot more in, in DS3, aside from Lord of Cinder, and then you know switch Lord of Cinder with Ornstein and Smo, and we've got, you, you, you've got it perfect, right? That's like um, fights, though. Like, For if sure. you took some of the mechanics and stuff that's used in 3 and applied it to the bosses from 1, they'd win hands down, obviously. You know, like, it, it like their their lore is where you want to lean toward, but when it comes down to gameplay, you go to 3. But if you just took the gameplay and applied it to 1, like, you've got the the full enchilada there. Like, that's what you want. And, that, and that's what Elden Ring gives you. But, yeah, in 3, they definitely miss the mark. Um, I will say, Jared... In my just reaction when I first finished this game, I remember when you beat the Lord of Cinder and it, it kind of it goes into the final. I know the first time I did it, I just did the standard light the fire, um, goes into the final scene and everything. I remember th- distinctly thinking, that's it. That's all. Right, right. Like, that's exactly. what you're giving me? Like, this is, yeah. this is Dark Souls 3, he said going into the game itself and obviously after the release this is the last dark souls game and that's how you end it like it was just so 
disappointing to me in that respect. Now, I will say, again, that the DLC fixes that. That's one of the big things that the DLC fixes, is that it actually takes, literally, and this is a bit of a spoiler, but it literally takes you to the very end of the world itself, and you experience a little bit more there. That, so it, that's what I wanted. That yeah. is what I wanted. Yeah. So they fix, yeah. they do fix it. If you go back and, 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 okay. and play through that DLC, you'll see that they they conclude it. Is it everyone's favorite? Probably not. Um, okay. Well, that's but, something I'll have to consider. Yeah. It, so... They do kind of shore that up a little later, but the base game, the original vision, it does fall short. I I, I gotta agree with you on on that on that point. Yeah, um, for sure. I I liked the the tone and the. I did feel like they were reusing some things a lot. Like the Crystal Sage gets used twice. I didn't care for that. Yeah, that, that annoyed mm-hmm. me. Um, the I think that's the only one, right? Everyone else. Is Crystal Sage unique, shows up, yeah, in the boss fight, and then later in the um, like, Grand Archives. Yeah, the archives. Um, Which again, I, I mean, didn't they like, use a lot of Dark like Souls were... one. That's what I was thinking when you first said yeah. it was. Obviously, you go back to um, why is the name escaping me again? Uh, and Orlando, you can you know you go back there, you experience all that, um, the connection to the Seagward of Katamira and. Um, little things like that. I mean, you said you appreciate those things, so I'm assuming that's not exactly what you meant, more that they reuse assets a lot. They do reuse assets a lot, but also, too, like, there's, you know, the undead settlement is like the undead parish, and... Yes. <laughs> and the Grand Archives. Very yeah, much trying yeah, yeah, to yeah. just like the, the Duke's glory archives. of Dark Souls 1. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And no, they totally it, are. That's a... Yeah, that's a little disappointing to me. It's not a, it's not a game, it's not a deal breaker, but it is a little disappointing. But uh, Now I will say Jared, that a part of that is because Dark Souls 2 was so radically different from 1. Mm. So, maybe 2 is going to be the breath of fresh air that you'd like because it is very very different from any other game in the series. Um mm. actually, it's a lot more like Elden Ring than I think some of the other games are. Um but I'll leave it at that. It's almost like it's almost like <laughs> like a Miyazaki likes to play with like intermingling timelines, and that all of these games are linked in some way, uh, <laughs> and they have elements of each other, you know, garbled throughout. Um, Elden Ring being that massive conglomeration of all the ideas he's ever had shoved into one game. But um, yeah, I don't I don't know. Dark Souls three would it would be really weird to place it. I just think my experience has been tainted by playing. Elden Ring and Bloodborne and DS1 first. I actually do believe this. I will say this. I will say this. This did I come think, out post-Bloodborne. Just want to make that out. True, true. Um, and, but I mean in my own experience, playing those other games first is what I'm saying. Yeah. I think had DS3 been my first introduction to the Souls series, that I would have enjoyed all the other games properly more. If that I makes see sense. what you mean. Yeah. Yes, yeah. because because I actually think like the lore and the the vagueness and the whatever else like the vague storytelling gets better because you appreciate how mysterious it is in DS1 as opposed to like if DS1 is your first introduction to the series, not only are you dealing with like an insanely difficult level of technical combat which has a lot of like cheeses. Oh my goodness, how many times did I have to cheese a boss in DS1? <laughs> in DS3 I just beat them to a pulp. It was much right. more satisfying. But I feel like if anyone wants to get into FromSoft, their first game should be DS3, personally. 
Like I, I the it's the best tutorial. Iodix Gunder is a great first boss. Oh my yeah, goodness. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know. Would you agree with that statement? What totally. What would you say if? Yeah, would you say that you would agree? Yeah. Yeah. No. Honestly. Um. And this is kind of digging into a bit of my experience with the game, which I wasn't planning on bringing up, but um, originally when I first started in getting involved in From Software titles way back when, before I beat them all last year, um, I it was right when Dark Souls Three was coming out, so it was on its way. It was going to be coming out that year, um, so I decided to get Dark Souls through GameFly. And I got Dark Souls, the original, it came in, it was on the PS3, and I was playing away, and as I was playing it, it was kicking my butt so much that I gave up, I didn't even get past the Undead Settlement, or not Settlement, that's three, um, Undead, Berg, not Berg, yeah, yeah, Parish, whatever, um, both, um, but anyway, um, that I was sick and tired and didn't want to even touch Dark Souls 3. Like, one had put such a bad taste in my mouth. So yeah, I sent exactly, that back through GameFly. Exactly. And then in 3, uh, it came out. I remember thinking, like, I'm not going to play that. And then I finally, I think I read a review on something. Something hyped me up. I can't remember what it was, but something, like, got me excited for it again. So I downloaded it, um, and I jumped in. And I almost beat the game. I It was my first almost complete dark souls gameplay i went all the th- all the way to uh aldrich is that his name the prince guy yeah yep i don't know why i didn't push through that boss fight but i just didn't i was so mad at it at the time um <laughs> but to the game's credit as someone who had not played any other game other than the very beginning of dark souls 1 i almost finished dark souls 3 as essentially my first from software title and I loved it. Like I had so much fun. I, I appreciated the challenge, but it wasn't to the point where I was sending it back through GameFly. Like it was balanced in a way that, yeah, and, and approachable yeah. in that respect that a lot of the other titles just aren't. Um. So when you say that, and when you bring it up in those terms, honestly, I relate to that because I do think, hey, if you want to get your toes wet in from software, and you're and you're curious if Elden Ring is for you. Maybe try Dark Souls 3 first. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, Although, honestly, Elden Ring also does a really great job of it. Now, I, it's hard for me to say because I'm not approaching it from that perspective, but uh, maybe jump in with that. But I, I think 3 is also a really great starting point. So I think if you want to enjoy DS3, DS1, and Bloodborne, you need to start with DS3. I would say Elden Ring mm. really is its own thing, and also Sekiro is its own thing. Um, I don't know if you'd say DS2 is its own thing. What would you? What do you think? It kind of is, low-key. Kind of is, yeah. yeah. Now, 1, 2, and 3 all together make such an interesting legacy. So I, I like how it contrasts the other two. But yeah, no, it is kind of its own thing. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's wrapping up here. We're, we're getting to the end of this podcast, Jared. Was there any other part of the game that you wanted to talk through? I mean, obviously, it's still a pretty game. Like, it still looks pretty good. Uh, a lot of the effects hold up fairly well. Elden Ring obviously overshadows it in that respect um, at this point. But it's definitely a lot nicer looking than Dark Souls 1 and 2. So you've got yeah. that. Uh, the music's really great. Ton of fun there. Classic Dark Souls yeah. music. Um. Yeah, great storylines. I don't know if there's anything else, Jared, that you want to bring up. 
Is there? No. Otherwise, we can jump into the final verdict. No, I just a couple of quick notes. You just got to think about like, there is no, I got to be careful when I say this. There's no Seath the Scaleless in DS3. Mm. There's no Moonlight Butterfly in DS3. Mm. Well, what would be the equivalent? A moonlight fight. I'd say the the watch the watchers the abyss watchers. Like the but like the moonlight butterfly. <laughs> yeah, in that it's like not a super difficult boss, but it's unique and it's awe inspiring in its own way. Like it's cool yeah. in its own way. It is. It is cool, and I, I think Yorm's a great fight. Um, and I I think the Nameless King was a fantastic hands down one of my favorite fights of all time uh right behind ornstein and smo maybe even ahead of it a little bit but but certainly i i just feel like it it doesn't change the narrative it doesn't break way it doesn't break new ground it doesn't um um it doesn't haunt me like ds1 haunted me (laughs) you know and and it certainly doesn't stick in my brain as anything super exceptional. Um, and it, you know, it, it, it's smoother for sure. Say that. But, well, the, but I'm, I'm not dissing the game when I say that. I just think that like when it comes to the final verdict, when it comes to choosing whether this goes into the hall of games or not, I just, I, I don't know that it's special enough and it did anything new enough. Oh. And I feel like they borrowed a lot of old ideas. Uh, maybe not borrow, but recreate them or remake them. And it also doesn't end satisfyingly enough. It doesn't wrap up. Like, I need more cinema. I need more. I need more bang. I need more buck. And I, I'm, I really feel like games should be able to do this without a DLC changing. I, I, I love great DLC, but a game should be great despite the DLC. Mm-hmm. Um in my, in my opinion, I should be able to enjoy a game and think it was amazing and then think it's even more amazing. Like you give me more amazingness with the DLC instead of like, well, with the DLC, it's great. Without it, it's meh. And I just feel like this game, while it was really enjoyable, I felt like I, I missed a part of my soul while I was playing through it. And I don't know where that went because I enjoyed some aspects the dark more. part of your soul? I suppose, yeah. I don't know. Although that Aldrich fight is pretty dark. Apparently, he's like devouring Gwendolyn while he fights you. That's pretty dark. But, um, but again, I need. I just need more than that. I need. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It just didn't. It it didn't overwhelm me. It underwhelmed me. Um, it had a couple mm. good boss fights, yes. But I, that was because it's a newer game. Um, I, I think yeah. you're exactly right, though. Too, if you were to take the mechanics of DS3 and apply them to DS1 bosses, I, I probably would like them more. Um, you know, I can think of the Sif fight. You fight Sif, he's a wolf with a sword in his mouth. It's massive. Like, the Four Kings, that's legendary. The the Dragon of the Depths in DS1, that is, like, grotesque. Um, I don't know. Is DS3 unique enough? Did it? I don't know. I, I don't think it is, Josh. Yeah. Um, no. It, I, I'm literally weeping as you speak, but I pretty much agree. Yeah. Full stem. Like, even, like, 
I am Jared. I'm so excited for you to try some of these other games to Dark Souls 2 and Demon Souls. I hope you play Demon Souls at some point. <laughs> I don't know um, if I can. <laughs> I mean, it's you got a PS5. It's on the PS5. Um, but even Demon Souls, it bar like Dark Souls 3 just kind of borrows ideas from. And yeah. it's like, okay, it's cool to see those again. But like, what are you bringing to the table here? And it's not much other than polish. Like, that's the sad part of this game. Um, and I love it, but I mean, if we're talking verdict here, I think if there is a Dark Souls game to pass on, Dark Souls 3 is the one. Despite the fact that I put in over 100 hours, um, that I loved the multiplayer, that I've played through this game, I think, three, four times, I think Dark Souls three out of all of them is the one that I would say does not make it into the hall of games. What do you think, Jared? I would agree with that verdict. I, you just didn't do, you didn't do enough. I, all of my, all of my qualms from DS one in a technical sense were solved, but in a lore sense actually got worse. Um, I just didn't, you didn't make me care. Uh, the boss fights were cool in their own scene and arena. The weapons were just as cool. The callbacks were cool. Smo's hammer, Smo's armor set, you know, different things like that. The ability to, the merchants more accessible, better weapon upgrades, you know, different things making your life easier, smoother, faster. But I needed, I, you lost part of yourself in the transition from one somewhere along the way to three. You lost part of what made you special. And, and you everything that makes this game special is done in other games at a better capacity. I would agree. Um, and like, here's the thing. Here's the thing about the hall of games. We got dark souls in there. All right. We got Sekiro in there. Did we put bloodborne in there? I think bloodborne got skipped. Did it not? We, well, you haven't aired it yet. Yeah. I guess I don't remember what our verdict was though. Um, yeah, me either. (laughs) Um, (laughs) anyway, um, out of all the Souls games, three is the one, if you had to lop one off the list, that I would. So, this isn't to say that, you know, it's not a great game. Like, in, in context of the other Hall of Game games, if Dark Souls 3 was the only Souls game out there, it would be in there. Oh, yes, but for sure. It's almost like the other games are are so much more significant that they're taking up the space that 3 would otherwise occupy i would um, agree because they just do those things so much better yeah i would agree so. and you can't compare like for instance you can't compare fire emblem to dark souls 3 it's not like we have limited spaces in our hall of games i it's it's about <laughs> yeah, they're, comparing they're yeah it's about comparing apples to apples and oranges to oranges and i certainly think that ds3 this is like falls short in the shadow of its older if it's what of its older brothers uh right yeah this is yeah, this is what I was gonna say is like Assassin's Creed Two is considered one of the best games in the series. Assassin's Creed Two doesn't do lickety split as good of a job at what it does as Assassin's Creed Valhalla, which just came out in twenty twenty one. So what's the difference? Well, Assassin's Creed Two did those things for the first time, and exactly. it was doing them in an innovative way, and it was yes. doing them when no one else was doing them, so on and so forth. Whereas with the newest one it's been building on years and years and years of this stuff and it's stealing ideas from everybody else it's just there's not a lot of original thought there and and that's dark souls 3 it's 
It's a great game. Like, it's the game you want to play. On the weekend, it's the game you do want to go through because it's it's more Dark Souls, you know? Yeah. But we have that in the Hall of Games already. So what do you bring to the table? And the answer is not much. Not much. No, yeah, not much new. And the improvements you made in a technical sense were like, well, duh, you have to fix the problem. You know what I mean? It's not like... right. Right, exactly. So, yeah, I would agree. All right. A pass here in our Hall of Games. I hope that that was a surprise to you. I think sometimes people, and I do know we have a small audience, Jared. It's not the biggest thing in the world, obviously, but... It doesn't need um, to be big, dude. Happy 30th episode. This has been a joy. I've I've enjoyed every single episode. I totally agree. Um, But I was going to (laughs) say, I was going to say, I feel like some of our audience will click on this episode and assume, oh, this is a shoe in um, But I, I think our reasoning makes sense. I think why this one out of all of them is the one to skip makes sense. Now, I would love to have the Dark Souls 2 conversation, Jared, because to me that is top three from software titles. Um, and <laughs> You're the so only one that feels that way and are, among yeah, all exactly. fans. Every- <laughs> You're the Literally only one. S- so many people feel the exact opposite way. So I'd love to pick your brain on that, but uh, perhaps for another time. Uh, nonetheless, until then, thank you for listening. This is the Video Game Bar, and of course, his good friend, the casual, Jared. Uh, you can, of course, show your support by dropping us a review on Apple Podcasts, by giving our social media posts a like, or reaching out to us at askvgb at gmail.com. Otherwise, if you disagreed with our decision, please let us know. If you agree with it, let us know. If you have any thoughts on the subject, let us know. And we'll talk about it on the next podcast. Until then, this is the Video Game Bar. Jared, any last thoughts you wanted to share? No, brother. It was It's a loving pass. It's a loving pass. I enjoyed my time with DS3, but it, it was. it's kind of like having, you know, I don't know, a cheesecake after a chocolate cake. You know, it's mm. just like, yeah, it's sweet, it's nice, but it's also, you know, you know. I've had it before. <laughs> so, so many great food comparisons with you. I, 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 <laughs> I can't help it. I have a sweet tooth lately. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, then, if that is the case, we are officially signing off. We'll see you next time.